That's an incredible story, and it's interesting that Jim mentions that he's not articulate enough. I'd say he articulated quite well. Um, God's doing an incredible work in the life of Jim, and it's a work that is continuing. It is a work in progress, just like all of us. Um, how are we doing, Community Faith? It's, uh, it's been a week. It was 24 to zero. <laughs> and all of us knew, right? We all knew. Nobody felt good about that. It's been a rough year. 2019 was tough for the sports fan in Houston, um, unless they were an LSU fan. Congratulations. I feel like you got to say that. For the rest of us, it was difficult. Kevin Durant goes down in game six. You think, oh, we just got to win one of two games. Didn't happen. Rockets lose the championship. Astros make the World Series. I don't know about the scandal. They lose every game at home. The Texans go up 24 to zero, and man, it, was, uh, it wasn't the best year. But 2020 is gonna be different. 2020 is gonna be the year that we go for the win. And I don't wanna just focus in on sports, obviously. And I know m many of you probably don't care about sports or anything regarding sports, um, but specifically in our life. And so my prayer as we dive in this morning is that this morning would be that wake-up call moment. Jim mentioned a wake-up call where there was a new awareness, there was a new understanding. Because I know for many in the room today, we've stepped into 2020 with a different perspective, a, uh, a new ambition, something that we want to be more intentional about so that we can experience our best life, so that we can live our best life in 2020 to go for the win. And even in moments like we just experienced, watching the story of someone else, while that can be encouraging for many of us, for some in the room, that can be discouraging because you hear stories and you see stories like that in church and you think, I've been giving my life to Jesus, I've been walking this journey with Jesus, I've been asking these questions, but I still feel like I'm struggling with the same habit, the same tendency, the same addiction in my life. And you find yourself in a place of discouragement because you hear stories of people who made a turnaround in a day and you've been struggling for years. And so this morning, you don't need a locker room speech from me. You don't need a pep talk. You don't need me to run up here with blue and white face paint yelling, freedom, let's go. You don't need that. In fact, we need something maybe even less emotional, a plan, a strategy, something that we can really begin to run towards to pursue. And so to kind of dive in this morning, I wanna go back to a passage that we started this series with a couple of weeks ago. Mark revisited the series last week. It's Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse one. It says this, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Now that's the verse that we kind of launched this series with. And we focused in on kind of the perspective and understanding what it really means to have faith and, and to look back at some people way back in the day that this was written to who were probably in a similar place that we are, struggling with circumstances, with situations going on in life, just the difficulty of living in a dark and broken world. But specifically today, I want us to focus in on what it's saying, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Because for all of us, there are things that are hindrances in our life. There are things called sin in our lives that keep us from living our best life. Specifically, the life that God has set up for us to live. The life that God has allowed us to be a part of. The, the, the life that God has allowed us to run into. We struggle with that. There's some weight that brings us down. 
There's some sin that tangles us up that keeps us from running. And so as we begin to understand this, we've got to understand clearly what sin is. And so for me, for, for our understanding today, sim, sin is simply this. Sin is a intentional step that you or I may take that goes in a different direction than God's best for my life. It's me choosing to take a step to participate in something that is leading me away from God's best in my life. Walking away from his protection. Walking away from his provision in my life. Walking away from his purposes, his promises in my life. Taking that intentional step. You see, all the way back in the beginning, if you go all the way back to Genesis, God created everything. He created order. And it says over and over and over that it was good. What God had done was good. He created man and woman, it was good. But there was an enemy, and he had a plan, he had a scheme, and he steps onto the scene. And in a moment, he begins to create deception. He begins to tell the lie to Adam and Eve that maybe God's holding out on you. Maybe God's trying to keep something from you. You don't really need God. God doesn't have your best interest. And so in this moment of deception, in this moment of temptation, Adam and Eve make a choice to take an intentional step away from the life God has designed them to live. And you have the fall. And every single one of us have participated in the fall every day since then. But even in Genesis 3, right after the fall, God makes a promise. And he says, there's going to be one that I'm going to send. He's going to be born of a woman, and he is going to crush the head of the enemy. So he makes a promise. He says, in a moment of shame, in a moment of condemnation and judgment, I am making a promise that this is not the end. This is not the worst case scenario for you. I am sending one. He will crush the head of the enemy. First John chapter 3, verse 8 says this. The reason the Son of God appeared, Jesus, the reason Jesus appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He arrived on purpose with a mission, and it was to destroy the slavery we find ourselves in when it comes to sin. Living a life apart from God, walking in a completely different direction than God would want us to go. And so God sent his son Jesus. It was an act of love. It was an act of unconditional love. A stronger one had arrived on the scene to rescue us. Look what it says in the next verse in Luke chapter 11. It says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. What he's saying here is he's saying a stronger one has arrived. A stronger one showed up to rescue us. Yes, we were held, we were captive to something incredibly strong. But a stronger one arrived and he stripped him naked and he sent him out in defeat. Why? For you, for me. He did what we weren't capable of doing. He came to rescue us, to rescue us, to give us new life, to give us new purpose, to give us a new identity. And so when you go back to Hebrews chapter 12 and you look at verse two and it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, that what the author is saying, he's saying, fix your eyes there. Fix your eyes on the rescue that was motivated by an unconditional love that our heavenly father has for us. He says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before, what was the joy? You and me, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. You can go back and listen on YouTube if you missed out. He says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand throne of God. Now don't get this twisted. 
He's not saying this is some sort of legalism. This isn't do this so that you can achieve this. It's already been accomplished on our behalf. Jesus did everything needed to be done so that we could have a relationship with our Father. The relationship is accomplished through Jesus Christ. It's why we celebrated communion just a few moments ago. But look at what it continues on to say. Verse three, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will will not grow weary and lose heart. I know that in 2020, some of us are already feeling that way. We're already feeling a little bit weary. Lost a little bit of confidence, lost a little bit of hope. 2020 was supposed to be the year we go for the win. Look what it says in verse four. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You see, sometimes we get discouraged because we think as we begin to follow Jesus, the struggles are supposed to just go away. But in reality, in Jesus, we are free to live in the struggle because we have another option. We have the opportunity to trust in something bigger than ourselves, to experience a life that is greater than the life that you and I could live on our own. It's the fact that we get to trust a heavenly father who knows more than we do, who understands differently than we do. It's like kids. We've all probably had this conversation with kids at some point in our lives as adults or maybe even as teenagers looking back and reflecting back on childhood. I know specifically Braden, my oldest, when he was probably three or four, I looked down on the floor and he was sitting there at an electrical socket trying to put his toy in the socket. Well, like any good parent in the room would do, I said, hey, Braden, don't do that. And you know how every kid at that age responds? They respond with one word, why? Well, Braden, because that's gonna hurt you. So stay away from there. You never need to touch the electrical sockets. Just get away. And he responds again, why? You know, I had an opportunity there where I could have explained to him clearly why with all the facts and all the details. I could have sat my son down and said, hey, Braden, listen, come here. When you play with the electrical socket, at some point, you're going to come in contact with the electricity in that socket. And when your body makes contact with that electricity, because your body is 75% water and water is a conductor of electricity. That electricity is going to burn you. It is gonna flow through your body in an instant. It's gonna hit your pacemaker and your heart's gonna explode and you're gonna die. Don't touch the electrical socket. And how's he gonna respond? Why? You see, that's our relationship with our Heavenly Father. He understands bigger than we do. He knows more than we do. He knows how things are going to turn out. And so when he is calling us to live a specific way, as we begin to understand this new perspective as we follow him, his spirit goes to work in us and we begin to see differently. We begin to think differently. And as we do that, he begins to show us things that we can begin to step into or to step away from. We begin to throw things off to fix our eyes on him. And sometimes there's that struggle that comes. Because what he's calling us to step away from, what he's calling us to throw off is something that we really enjoy. But it's incredibly destructive for us. And we've got to trust our Heavenly Father in that moment. Even when we don't completely understand, we're trusting because his ways are better, his ways are higher, his ways are safer for me. He wants the best life for me. And so that is the struggle that we find ourselves in. That is the struggle that Hebrews chapter 12 is pressing into. And so there's four parts to this strategy. There's four parts to this plan this morning. In this struggle, not struggle for the relationship, but in this struggle to experience the best life he has set me up to experience, the first thing we have to do is we have to know our enemy. You've gotta know your enemy. We have an enemy and he hates us. He hates you, he hates me. When I was a freshman in high school, I had a 
teammate of mine walk up to me in the locker room who had, he hadn't been there in about a week. He had been missing, he had been out of school for about a week and he shows up and we're about to go out into practice on the football field and he walks up to me and he gets right in my face all bowed up. And I'm like, bro, what's, what's going on here? What's, I'm, I'm not comfortable with this scenario and you need a Tic Tac as well. Um, it, was, it was weird. And he put his finger in my face. He says, I hate you. I was like, oh, this is serious. And he's a lot bigger than me, so I just listened. Tell me more. He said, I hate you, and I hate your dad. And I was like, what in the world? My coach walks in the locker room. He says, hey, boys, y'all break it up. So he walks off. He says, Jackson, I'm watching you. You know, because in athletics, they all call you by your last name. And I was like, man, what in the world's going on? And so I was talking to some friends. They said, you know what's wrong, right? And I was like, I have no idea. He said, you know, about a week ago, your dad, who was a narcotics officer at the time, raided a hotel room in the town. And this guy was in the hotel room, and your dad pulled a gun on him and said, hey, I need you to get up. I need you to respond to the orders I am giving you right now. And in a moment, he shamed him. He embarrassed him. He made him feel like he was in the wrong. And because of that, he hated my father. And so because I represented my father, he hated me. That's us. We have an enemy who hates our heavenly father. And he can't hurt our heavenly father. He can't do anything to our heavenly father. So he's got a target on us. He wants to hurt us and he knows us. He's watched film on us. He knows our tendencies, he knows our habits. He knows that we have a mind, a way of thinking, a way of reasoning. He knows that we have a heart, we have affections, we have desires. And he knows that we have a will, a decision-making mechanism. And so he begins to work in that. He's watched the film on you. He's watched the film on me. Like any good football coach who spends hours studying film to find out what is it that's gonna help me defeat the opponent. He's watched film on you and we're all different. I really appreciate the month of January because the month of January means Christmas is over and it's not because I hate Christmas, I just hate the Hallmark Channel and all the movies at Christmas time that come on the Hallmark Channel. I can't even say it, I hate it so much. My wife loves the Hallmark Channel, and she loves Christmas movies. It just makes her feel like Christmas. And some of you are like that. You hear Hallmark Channel Christmas movies on the Hallmark Network, whatever it's called, and you're like, peppermint mochas, a fire in the fireplace. Oh, it's just so much Christmas. I love it. And they're all the same. Others of you, you're like me. You're like, Hallmark Network? No, I got yard work to do. I got encyclopedias to read. I got to go slam my head in a car door. You're like, you're just not having it. You are not going there with the Hallmark Network. We're all different. We all have unique tendencies, and the enemy knows this. And his goal is to try to hurt our Heavenly Father. So his play is to get you and I to take a step away from our Heavenly Father. Now listen, he can't force you and I to do anything. He cannot enact your will. He cannot force you to make a choice. But he can promote thoughts that stir your affections, that lead you to a place where you have a choice to make. And those affections are pulling you to make a choice that's gonna cause you to take that step. That is temptation. Temptation is thoughts promoted in our minds that stir our affections, that lead us to a place where we say, you know what, I think in this moment this feels right. Even though I know it's not what's best for me, I choose this and we step into sin. We step away from the best life that our Father has for us. It's how the enemy goes to work. He knows this. 
He knows that if we care about it, then we'll chase it. And when we chase it, we'll choose to make a decision that's destructive for us. It's what James talks about in James chapter one. Look what it says. But each person is tempted when he is lured. It gets our attention. We notice something. We're lured and enticed. So it gets our attention and then it looks appealing by his own desire, not by somebody else's desire, by our own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Lured and enticed, he begins to go to work in our thoughts. Ladies, maybe you wake up in the morning and you're single, and you wake up thinking about that, and you wake up and you think, I'm single. I'm not even dating anyone. And I really want to be married one day. And so you start to think about that. And there's nothing unhealthy about that thought. But then as you get ready for work and you get in the car and you start heading to work, the first song that comes on the radio is Tim McGraw and Faith Hill talking about their love for each other for the rest of their life. And you're like, oh, I want that. As you continue on, all the couples you see are hand in hand. The animals are going two by two. I mean, it's just like, you're like, it's meant to be. And all of a sudden, this thought process is dominating your mind. It's stirring your affections, and it leads you to a place where you'll ultimately lower your standards and date a scrub. (laughs) It's how it works. You find yourself in a place that you said you would never be with someone you said you'd never date. Why? Because there was a thought process that started that began to stir your affections and what you think about is what you care about and what you care about is what you'll chase. Fellas, you'll wake up in the morning and you'll have the thought, I should think about naked things. And you think, yes, I should. And that's about all it takes. Like, you're done. (laughs) He's got the film on us. He knows the play that works before us. And so in order for us to begin to throw this off, what does it mean to throw this off? We've got to know our enemy, but we also have to know our thoughts. What are those thoughts? Know your enemy, know your thoughts. What is it that you think about? What is it that, that kind of dominates your thought process? Look what it says in 1 Timothy chapter four. It says, keep a close watch on yourself. Not on anybody else. It says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. So think about what you're thinking about. Keep an eye on yourself, but also think about what you're learning, what you're experiencing as you begin this faith journey with Jesus, knowing where you wanna go. That's the fixing your eyes on Jesus. Persist in this, for by doing so, for by doing, so doing, whatever, I can't read, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The author is saying, pay attention. Know your thoughts. Know what it is that dominates your mind. You know what's really good at this? You know who's discovered to become geniuses in this? Instagram. Have you figured that out? Does this happen to you? Some of you are on Instagram, not all of you, and for some of you, that's a good thing. Um, But on Instagram, I won't even say anything about something, and there's an ad that pops up on my Instagram. My wife's been shopping for rugs. She wants a new rug for the living room. I haven't shopped for rugs. I haven't Googled rugs. I haven't looked at anything about rugs. And all of a sudden, rugs are coming up on my Instagram feed. Why? Because they've heard something, they're listening. It kind of freaks me out, but they're listening and they know what I'm thinking about. They know what I'm talking about. And so they wanna play into that. They want to lure me in. They want to entice me with a rug that maybe I'll purchase and make a choice. That's the tactic of the enemy. He goes to work in our thoughts. 
The author James talks about lures. I love to fish, and I know some of you love to fish. Now there's two ways to fish. Unless you live in Oklahoma and you reach in the water and you grab them with your hand and you're more manly than the rest of us, I like, to lure, I like to use lures that are pink and purple and all these pretty colors, okay? So you're more manly than me. But there's two ways to fish. Live bait or artificial lures. And the more that I've learned how to fish, I appreciate fishing with artificial lures because every single one of them is different. They take a different kind of action. There's a technique. It's the, it's the imagery that James wants us to understand. This is the tactic of the enemy. And I don't want the fish just to notice the lure. I want the fish to be enticed by the lure. And so I like to use topwater lures. And so I'll cast it out there and then I'll start working my, my fishing pole to create some action. And the top water begins to dart back and forth across the water, it's called walk the dog. And so the, the lure is just doing this and it looks like a wounded fish. And the idea is that I would catch the attention of the fish and the fish would see that wounded fish darting across the water and look at it and say, ooh, that looks good. All wounded and delicious. And he says, hey little buddy, I wanna spend some time with you. And in that moment, he enacts the will and never sees the hook that leads him to a place that he never wanted to go. Now for some of us, you think, top water, wounded fish, that's disgusting. I don't even understand that. But he's got something different for you. He says, oh, I got something shiny. And you're like, shiny? Oh, awesome, I'm, I'm all in, and game over. You see, he's got something for every single one of us and he uses our thought process to lure and entice us. So what do I do? Look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 26. He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Notice he doesn't say, watch and pray that you may not enter into sin. He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. It's that thought process that's taking place. He says, be careful, be watchful. Pray into this, fix your eyes on Jesus. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So what do we do? What's the third thing we do? Eliminate the temptation. Know your enemy, know your thoughts, and then eliminate the temptation. This is where you put some action to this. This is the way that you throw off. As you're fixing your eyes on Jesus, he begins to point out things in your life that are not the best for your life. And so we begin to throw those things off. We begin to eliminate the temptation, not the sin, but the temptation, the moment that allows us to take the step into sin. I have conversations often with young people who have great intentions as they step into a romantic relationship with someone. And oftentimes, someone will come to me and say, man, Wes, I, I had good intentions. I had goals. I was gonna, we, were, we were gonna be physically pure in this relationship, but things have gotten out of control. We've crossed some lines that we said we wouldn't cross. We've done some things we said we wouldn't do until we were married and, and, and there's just this moment of shame and regret and confusion and so I start to say, like, I start to ask questions like, well, okay, so you don't wanna do that anymore so um, we gotta decide, determine how is that happening? Why is that happening? Is, so, so where do you spend your time together? Well, a lot of times we go to his house or we go to her house and nobody else is there and you know, it's Netflix on the TV and one thing leads to another and it's just this repetitive cycle. You see, that's where you have to eliminate the temptation. I mean, instead of going to a place where it's just you two and you're watching a movie and your mind begins to race, your thoughts begin to race, your, your, uh, race and your, your affections are stirred and all of a sudden you start to chase something. And in a moment, you make a decision, you enact your will and you take a step away from God's will in your life. So instead of going to her apartment or going to his apartment, go to Starbucks. 
Go hang out and drink coffee at Starbucks because last time I checked, nobody was taking their clothes off in Starbucks. Like, hey, I want a latte. Like, that wasn't happening there. And I know what some of, some of the pushback is in that. Some, some people would say, well, Wes, that sounds boring. Or I'm afraid that he may be bored if I suggest that or she might get bored if I suggest that. Listen, if you're in a relationship and you want what's best for that relationship, and you say, hey, let's, let's just go hang out at Starbucks. And they say, well, that sounds boring. We're not gonna get to do this, or we're not gonna get to do that. It's probably not the relationship you need to be in. Because before they ever get to know your body, they need to get to know your heart. They need to know you. They need to know your personality. Because at some point, if they're not willing to do that, they're gonna get bored. And you're gonna find yourself in a relationship long-term that you never wanted to be in because it was so uh, romantic. It, it felt so right in the moment because it was so much driven by physical desire. But that physical desire changes. You see, that's where God wants us to trust him even when we don't fully understand. I've had conversations with men and women at times, and they say, I'm really struggling with looking at explicit content on my cell phone, on my computer, and it's a dominating struggle for them. And so the conversation really goes to this place where it's like, okay, I, I understand that you feel ashamed, you feel condemned, you feel like this is not something you wanna do, it's this repetitive cycle. So what are we gonna do to fix this? Well, we've gotta eliminate the temptation We've gotta change things. So when do you struggle with this? Well, it's when I'm home, alone, usually at night when I'm tired. Okay, so when you're tired and vulnerable at the end of your day, you've got a device within reach that's got attachment and connection to brokenness all over the world. Maybe you need to remove that, remove that opportunity, remove the accessibility from your life in that moment of vulnerability. Maybe you need to add in some accountability, some conversation, have some conversation with someone else instead of continuing to push it back assuming that you're the only one struggling with the issue so that you can begin to create some guardrails in your life to protect you from the brokenness that it's leading you to. And sometimes we think that when we start to do that, the temptation is just gonna go away. But you may struggle with those thoughts and that temptation for the rest of your life. Oftentimes it never goes away. There was a season in my life where I struggled with that and it's something that's still a frustration for me. I'm like, why can't those thoughts just go away? But you see, I've created some guardrails. I've created some accountability in my life so that, that temptation is not accessible to me anymore. For some, maybe it's social media. Constantly filling our minds and our lives with what people think about us, playing the comparison trap, looking at everybody else's life and saying, man, they've got it so good and my life is so bad. You're looking at how many likes you get, how many friends you get, who unfriended you. And it leads us to this place, not because social media is bad, not because social media is sinful. It's great, we can use it for a lot of great things, but for some of us, it leads us to a place where we begin to have these destructive, unhealthy thoughts. Thoughts of anxiety, thoughts of depression. And it's destructive. And so in order to begin to do something different and to throw that off and to get rid of that temptation, to eliminate that temptation, instead of running to social media, maybe we should run to something that brings life, that brings joy, that brings peace instead of stress, anxiety, and depression. And so we start to run to listening to different playlists on our Spotify playlists as we're driving to work or listening to podcasts that bring life, talking about Jesus we begin to run to his word. We begin to memorize scripture. My favorite verse since I was a child was Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Not because of anything I'm capable of, but because the Lord my God is with me. His presence is with me. And when I remember that and I understand God's presence is with me, it begins to dictate the decisions I make. It begins to dictate the thought process in my head. 
So we've got to eliminate the distraction. When you get that phone call and the crew says, hey, we're gonna hang out at so-and-so, at such and such place, and we're gonna do this, you immediately think, I know what's gonna happen when I hang with that crew and we do this together. And sometimes the justification and the pushback is like, well, hey, you know what? Jesus hung out with sketchy people, so I I think this is okay. And it leads you to a place of confusion and frustration, accusation, just, just chaos. When you wake up the next morning, you're like, man, what was I thinking? No life comes from that. We've got to eliminate the temptation. We've got to throw it off. We've got to almost ask the question, where do I want to be? Where do I want to be tomorrow in my life? Where do I want to be next week, next month, next year? At the end of 2020, what do, I, what do I want to be able to say about my life in order to say I went for the win and I am winning? Because nobody steps into a relationship with somebody, nobody steps into a relationship with a substance, with the goal of being an addict. But oftentimes we can find ourselves in that place of addiction and it's frustrating, and I don't say that to to be condemning or judgmental this morning because there's an ocean of grace available to us because of what Jesus did on the cross and the fact that he came back to life from the grave. It gives me confidence that what I did on my worst day is not who I am. He gives me a new purpose, a new life, a new identity. Look Look how James continues on. He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He says, do not be deceived. He says, I love you. Do not be deceived. Pay attention. Do not be deceived. The fourth thing in this is this. We've got to know our Father's love. Know our Father's love. The lie that leads to every sin in my life is the lie that my Father in heaven doesn't love me, that he's not a good father to me. You know, it's interesting, James doesn't say, hey, don't be deceived. Look at what's happened in the past. Look where that got you last time. Look at the impact that some of these decisions have made in your life. Look at the impact of this addiction or this habit. He he doesn't say that. He doesn't say look back or try to justify or try to look ahead. He just simply says, don't be deceived. Look at the Father's love for you. He is for you. And it's something that we've got to wrap our minds around this morning because it's impossible to throw it off when we don't understand the love that our Father in heaven has for us. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, it shows us, it gives us the greatest picture of love ever in the history of the world. His love is strong for us, his love is strong for you, his love is strong for me. And so it impacts my life. When I fail to recognize that, it causes me to do things I said I would never do. It makes me think that I gotta take control of the relationships in my life, I've gotta take control of my sexuality, I've gotta take control of everything because I know what's best for me because I fail to understand the love that God has for me. When I fail to understand the love that God has for me, I don't run to him for comfort, for peace in the chaos. I run to a substance, I run to a bottle, I run to a relationship. When I don't understand his love for me, when it comes to my life, I will wreck myself trying to prove my worth to the people that I know, to fill the insecurity in my life. Do you see this? Do you see the tactic of the enemy? He wants to deceive us, he wants to tell us the lie. So today we have to fight the lie. Let's just say this morning that you hate me and you have made it your mission in life to destroy me. 
You want to take out Wes Jackson. Can I tell you the best way you could do that without actually taking my life physically? In fact, I would even say that taking my life physically might even be better than this tactic. The most evil tactic you could pursue to wreck my life, to destroy my life, would be to convince my two little boys that I don't love them. To convince my little boys that I wouldn't give my life for them. The most destructive thing you could do is to get down on a knee and look my boys in the eye and say, hey boys, your daddy doesn't love you. Your daddy doesn't support you. He doesn't care about you. You're a disappointment to him. Your dad has standards for you and you can't live up to him. Your dad's love for you is conditional and you don't meet the conditions. If you were to do that to me, it would be devastating to convince my boys for just a moment that I don't love them. The rage that that would stir in me would be unimaginable. But do you see? This is the tactic of the enemy. He wants you to believe the lie that your father doesn't love you, that you haven't met the standard, that he's not interested in what's going on in your life, the big things, the small things. Do not be deceived, my brothers and sisters. That's what James is saying. Don't believe the lie. Push back on the lie. That's what the enemy's done. He's led so many of us down a path of destruction and frustration, darkness, and loneliness. And maybe today is that wake up moment to wake up to the love that the Father has for you. And listen, you don't have to do it all alone. Like, let's, let's do this together. I think one of the most powerful things about Jim's story is the team of people that have rallied around him to pray for him in his physical time of need, to strengthen him spiritually, to say, hey, hey Jim, it's, it's day 75, let's go to day 76. Locking arms together and say, hey, we got this. Because sometimes we need some people to walk with us because we're not strong enough to walk on our own. And God knew that, so he created relationships for that. He created the church for that so that we could be known and so that we can know each other, so that we can love him and love each other and walk together. That is church, and that is how we go for the win in 2020. So here's how I want us to close today. Here's how I want us to respond. I want us to close and just sing a song titled, Run to the Father. I mean, is there anything more appropriate than that as we respond to what we've heard this morning? So before we sing, will you just do me a favor? And if this weirds you out, you don't have to do this. There's nothing like magical about this. And I'm not trying to make it feel weird, but I'm just, would you, would you be willing to just put your fist out in front of you like this and then just close your eyes? I'm not judging you if you're not participating. It's fine if you're not participating, but just listen. What is it that's hindering you? What is the sin that so easily entangles? What is it for the last few weeks days, months, years that's keeping you from experiencing God's best in your life. Maybe for some, it's an addiction, it's a habit. Maybe for some in the room today, you're here and you've never given anything over to God. You've never, you've never said, I, I wanna follow Jesus. Maybe today, for the first time, you're beginning to understand your heavenly Father's love for you because of what Jesus did. And so as you have your fist clenched, representing perhaps that habit, that addiction, that tendency, whatever it is that's hindering you, in this moment as I pray for us, 
a prayer of confession, a prayer of throwing it off, would you just open your hands, symbolic of saying, whatever that is, I'm throwing it off. Not because I just wanna throw it and see it on the floor, but I'm throwing it off because I'm looking ahead. I'm gonna run to my father because his love is strong for me. Would you just open your hands? It's just a representation to say, I'm throwing it off. I'm gonna step into this journey. I'm gonna take these steps necessary to live life a little bit differently. I know there's an enemy. I know I have a thought process. I know there's temptation, but I know that my father loves me and he's gonna walk with me. God, we thank you for who you are. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the fact that we get to live a different story. But I also know that as we live a different story, we still struggle with some battles. But I'm thankful that we get to struggle and make progress. And so right now, we just throw it off. There's things that are holding us back. There's things that aren't of you. There's things that are keeping us from experiencing you, from experiencing the life that you want us to walk in, to run in. So right now, we just together say, we're throwing it off because we trust you, because we know that your love is strong for us. So God, give us courage, give us boldness to walk, to run well in 2020. Keep our eyes fixed on you. We wanna experience you. So as we sing in these next few minutes, I pray that this would be a moment, this would be a wake-up call, this would be a moment of awareness, not of ourselves, but just of you. As we become more aware of you, would you continue to shape in us something that's not of us? We love you, we trust you, we worship you in Jesus' name, amen.